welcome to this episode of All Things Iceland. It's Jules. And in this week's episode, I'm sharing some fun and easy day trips from Reykjavik that you can enjoy during your visit in wintertime. So the days have become noticeably shorter and soon the nights will be very long. <laughs> and this is one of those things where I used to dread because it was something I haven't learned to cope with back in the day when I first moved. But now that I, I know how to cope with it better, I might actually make an episode to give some people some tips who are planning to stay in places like Iceland that, you know, where the long, dark winter nights can be quite intense. But in terms of for this episode, because of those long, dark nights, we end up not having a lot of time during the day to do activities. So I wanted to give you some day trips that wouldn't take too much time if, if, if Reykjavik is going to be your base. So while, you know, it's more than possible during the winter and, you know, go for it, of course, if you want to travel the ring road. But I do find that a decent amount of visitors during the winter season, especially at kind of the peak of the long, dark nights, they end up using Reykjavik as their base and then make day trips from there. And of course, end up back in the capital at, in the evening time. So I'll just give you some insight on some places. And in essence, I did my best to make sure that you wouldn't have to drive more than five hours total, so round trip. The ideas are specifically catered to people who plan to drive themselves with a rental car. Of course, I have nothing against people using bus tours and things of that nature. But I, you know, I've mentioned in other episodes that I very much like doing the, you know, self-drive route just because you get to see more things. Like there are different places that the buses just don't go to. Or if you wanted to have that experience with a, a guide in particular, then you would have to pay a lot more money than you would with a bus tour. So this is, I think, a cool DIY list of places that you can go that are close by and I think would be, you know, fun adventures, especially during this time of the year. I'm including five day trips and you can check out the full list of the places in the show notes of this episode at allthingsiceland.com forward slash Reykjavik dash winter dash day trips. Please note that rental car companies in Iceland put studded tires on their cars to help with traction on the road during the winter if the road is icy. And meaning like they have them on the car regardless if the road is actually icy or not for winter. But the whole point is it helps with traction in the event that they, the roads are icy. And that is something that a lot of people are often kind of worried about when they're taking, you know, day trips on their own is whether or not it's safe to drive. And I have driven many times in Iceland. And just to be honest, like, you know, being from New York City, I was not used to driving a lot. So when I came here and started driving, it was a little bit like, okay, let me just be like, you know, there's a little bit of anxiety that I had. But honestly, with those tires, it makes a huge difference. And it's totally safe for you to drive. And as I've mentioned in some other episodes, if you feel like you need to go slower because the roads are icy, definitely do that. So it can be a really fun experience and it doesn't have to be something people are afraid of when it comes to renting your car in the wintertime. Before I jump into the places, I'd like to thank the sponsor of this episode, Go Car Rental Iceland. They are a local Icelandic rental car company that has competitive rates, great customer service, and a large variety of cars to choose from. If you use my code ICELAND10, you could save 10% on your entire booking with them. 
doesn't matter if it's wintertime, summertime, any time of the year. So I think that's pretty amazing. Side note, a few of you have reached out to me letting me know how great of an experience you had with Go Car Rental Iceland ever since I started talking about them this July. And I am so happy about that. I'm so stoked because as I've, you know, kind of gone about allowing myself to do more partnerships with companies, it's been really important to me that the companies that I, I am associating with and of course talking about on the podcast or anywhere else on my other channels that I personally have used, of course, but also that will bring value to my audience and that they will enjoy and find helpful. So when I do hear from you about like after your booking with them, that, you know, how great of an experience it was, it just warms my heart to know that this is, it's working out well and that, it's, you know, I, of course, will continue to recommend them because I use them as well. So please feel free to keep tagging me on Instagram or other places while you're on your adventures. It's really fun to see what all of you are up to. And, and also like just in general, I think it's really awesome just to kind of get that connection. Cause sometimes, especially on the podcast, like I don't really get the same type of interaction with individuals as you would in like social media or YouTube or something. So yeah, feel free to email me, tag me, whatever suits you in terms of communicating and just let me know what your experience has been like. To kick off the list, I'm sharing the most iconic route in the country, and that is the Golden Circle. So at its simplest, the Golden Circle consists of Thingvetlir National Park, Geysir Hot Spring, and Gutfoss Waterfall. But I'm going to share in total 12 places, of course, including those three main attractions that you can consider visiting on your trip. I would say that, you know, as you kind of check out for your own schedule and how much you want to do in the day, feel free to not do some of these places. If they're not of interest to you, do them all, do whatever, you know, in terms of your energy level too. So I don't want people to feel like they have to choose this route in particular, the way I'm saying it, but this list definitely gives you a decent amount of things to do, especially since it's not summertime and we're not doing some of the other things that could be a little bit more strenuous or take more time. So just know that while there's 12 things, there's still a lot more other things that could be on this list, which is pretty incredible. As you make your way from Reykjavik, your first stop will be Thingvetlir National Park. But actually on the way, you will see that there's a beautiful lake and that is called Thingvatlavat. So in essence, Thingvetlir Lake and Thingvetlir, for those who don't know, means Parliament Plains. And this lake is the second largest lake in Iceland with 84 square kilometers of surface and its depth is 114 meters. So inside Thingvetlir, there's a couple of interesting things that you can do, including like a waterfall, walking in the Rift Valley, going inside to the guest information center and actually have a museum in there. We can learn about the area and especially about the Rift Valley, different fish that can be found in this area. Oroxafoss is the waterfall that I mentioned, a little bit of a walk away. So there's like a, a lot of really cool things. And this area is quite large as well. Like as you're driving to other spots after you're finished with Thingvetlir, you're still in the national park for quite some time because like I mentioned, it covers a lot of area and it's just really beautiful. And what's nice too, is that there's different parking spots that you can go to in order to reach different places. So like the main parking area is where you, most people start off. 
and you can walk through, you know, the Rift Valley. And for those who might not be aware, Iceland, in essence, the way it's situated on the earth, it basically the Eurasian and North American tectonic plates are slowly pulling the country apart. So if there wasn't a lot of volcanic activity underneath Iceland, the country would split in two because the volcanic activity continues to make new land to fill in the two centimeters a year that the country is being pulled apart. So that's one just like really amazing part about Thingvetlaer. But then on top of that, historically, this is one of the most significant places in the country. So Icelandic parliament used to meet here back in the 900s. And that is, you know, intense when you think about it. And it's one of the oldest running parliaments in the world. And chieftains and all these individuals would come in order to create new laws, settle disputes, have parties, of course, because, you know, you travel all that way around the country. Why not party? <laughs> and they had something called the Law Rock, which they're not actually sure the exact location of it. There's an area that talks about it in Thinkvetlaer, but they're not 100% sure, like I mentioned, if that is actually where it is, because like I mentioned, over time it's moving. So it's just really fascinating in my opinion. And while you can't actually touch the Eurasian side and basically be like on two continents at the same time, you can't touch them because you'd have to have really long arms, like stretch arm strong. <laughs> it is cool to know that you technically are in between or, you know, in a space where both of these are located and I always enjoy going to Thinkpetlaid, especially in the winter. Like, it's just so beautiful, this winter wonderland, the, the rocks and the landscape. I have been snorkeling there. So I'm only going to say that I recommend it for those who are okay with knowing that when you get out of the water, it's it's going to be a little chilly. <laughs> but Silfra, which is a gorgeous area, uh, it's basically this water area where it's so clear that when you go like to either dive or snorkel, you can see so far to the bottom that you actually don't think it's that far, but it is quite deep. And it's it's just amazing. Like there aren't any fish in it or anything. It's it's delicious water. And I know that because my, when I was snorkeling, it ended up getting into my mouth, some of the water, and I drank it kind of by mistake, you know. But I was like, that was like a tasty surprise. <laughs> and of course, quite cold. But you do get these, I think it's called a, a wetsuit when it's supposed to be for cold, colder temperatures. And that does keep you warm and gloves and everything while you're in like this water area, this this part of, in essence, the lake, but it's in this Rift Valley area. So I did it in December, just to kind of give you an idea. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Did I enjoy the getting out part? And getting undressed and then getting dressed? No, I didn't. But this was also years ago. So it's a good possibility that they've changed the setup where you're not really outside having to change like your clothing and things. So if that is of interest to people to go snorkeling in the wintertime, it's de it will definitely wake you up for sure. <laughs> but I understand if it's something that you save for summer. So after that, on to Loigervat in that area, there's actually a spa that's really beautiful called the Fontana Spa. And in this area too is where they bake bread in the ground. So rugbrauth is Icelandic bread and it's kind of like a sweet rye bread. 
really tasty, delicious. And because of all of the geothermal activity that's happening in Iceland, people used to use this steam, like hot boiling water to make things, including bread. And it's really cool to see the process of how they do it in modern day, which is, you know, of course, mimicking what their ancestors used to do. So that's just something to consider if you want to kind of either go to the spa or just go to the place where they bake the bread. It's up to you. But after that, in the Loreva area is something called the cave people. Some people might be aware that Icelanders, before living in more modern housing, lived in turf houses. So so these houses are basically made of dirt and rock and, in essence, turf. But living in caves was not something that Icelanders did traditionally. And it was actually outlaws were the ones that when they were on the run, because the rule in Iceland back in the day was if you saw an outlaw, you could shoot and kill them on sight. So outlaws would often find caves to live in. And it was just not common for like an, a regular Icelander to do this. But the cave people is a well-preserved cave that showcases, you know, the people dress up and everything. It showcases that some families that lived in it in the last century. So this is not that long ago. And there were two children that were born in this cave. So fascinating. I remember visiting. I was just like, whoa. And it's called Lorgervats Hetlir. So the cave of Lorgervat. It's a short drive. It's a fun tour. It doesn't take very long. And it just kind of gives you some interesting history regarding a unique circumstance in which some Icelanders lived in caves and literally seeing how they lived. Like they've kept beds and old like knickknacks that people might have had on the walls and stoves. And when you walk in, it's like, you know, dirt floor. And there's also like some moss growing on the ceiling. I wasn't sure what exactly to expect when I went, meaning I knew about the fact that they were talking about people who lived in the caves, but it felt like I was literally stepping back in time. And I thoroughly enjoyed that. And also, of course, the guide giving me information about, you know, how people were living there and why. If you're a fan of ice cream and want to try some Icelandic ice cream straight from the farm, then a next possible stop for you could be Eftetalur Dairy Farm. And it's a family-run farm that has been around since the 1700s. There are seven generations that have been living on the farm, but they only kind of opened this up, of course, to tourism in the more recent years. I think it was like in 2013 or so. And they serve, you know, of course, ice cream, Icelandic skir, and feta cheese. They also opened up a restaurant in which they serve things from the farm, so you know, for someone like myself who who's plant-based, I don't ever really stop there. I've been there and it was, it's quite just interesting to see. But for those who actually eat dairy products, then this might be a fun treat for you if you, you know, want to stop there and just kind of get an idea of what farm life is like in Iceland. I mean, granted, it's not the, you know, kind of raw experience because you're not working on the farm, but you're kind of going into a situation in which people have made it more accessible to tourists. But in the end, you still get a chance to get some insight and also taste some of the things that they provide. So not too far from there is Geysir, which is the hot spring that shoots up in the air. And to be fair, I mean, it, we call this spot Geysir just because the largest hot spring there that shoots up in the air is called that, but it's dormant and it hasn't or like, you know, erupted, if you will, 
for a very long time. It used to be the one that was going off all the time, but Strocker, which is the one next to it, it's a little bit smaller, still impressive, but it's, that is the one that is continuously shooting up water. So in, at the Casey area, there's also like a restaurant there. There's, you know, rest stops, the ability, of course, to walk and to see this <laughs> hot spring shoot up in the air. For most people, this is not a super long stop, but it is really fun. And I believe that the time frame in which the water shoots up is usually every 12 minutes or so. After that, you take another drive over to Gutfoss Waterfall, which is this two-tiered waterfall. It's absolutely gorgeous. And I love it so much just because I remember when I first visited December of 2013, I want to say. I'm just sometimes the, the times are a little bit like, wow, you know, it's amazing to even think that I've <laughs> it's been that long. But that was the first time I saw a partially frozen waterfall. And that's why I love Iceland in the wintertime. It's just, I mean, yes, of course, it's icy and it's cold air, but the nature and, and like on this drive in general, like through Thingvetlir everywhere, it's a winter wonderland when there is snow on the ground. And so seeing though this half frozen waterfall, I remember standing there just in awe and almost like tearing up, like the power of it, hearing it, it's, it's roaring, first of all. Uh, and this is, of course, if you walk down closer to it, you can get this feeling and be a little bit careful, of course, with, you know, any ice, but also the amount of water that can spray from it. But yeah, I just still to this day, that is, that was a moment for me that has been so impactful in terms of just feeling nature and the power of nature. So even though the Golden Circle is something where a lot of people go to visit, there's a reason for it. And it's because there are a lot of interesting, impressive things on this route. If you're feeling a little hungry, or if you even just want to kind of experience something in Iceland that can feel unusual, almost like being in the Mediterranean, then I recommend going to Fridheimar Tomato Greenhouse. Definitely my favorite tomato greenhouse. I mean, granted, I've not been to very many of them, but what's great is that, first of all, like I mentioned, it's warmer in there. It smells so good, like tomatoes, like fresh flowers, because they're growing those too. There are bumblebees flying around. And it's a restaurant where everything on the menu has tomatoes in it. So, you know, I'm sorry for anybody who is either allergic to tomatoes or hates them, but I, I think this place is fantastic. And I highly recommend, though, if you're going to go there, get a reservation because even in the wintertime, it can get totally booked because there are, you know, tours that go there like buses and stuff. And they do this in advance to make sure that they have enough seats for their people. So just something to keep in mind. But after that, Maybe you're feeling like you want to take a dip. That is, of course, if you didn't go to the Fontana Spa, where they do have like hot tubs and everything. And actually, I forgot to mention at Fontana Spa that you can jump into the lake there, which is kind of cool. So it's like warm water, cold water. But the Secret Lagoon is not a secret any longer, and it hasn't been a secret for a long time. But it is a place that many people do end up going. So, you know, you could choose between Fontana or the Secret Lagoon. Personally, I like the Fontana Spa area, but if you really kind of want it more like the, I don't want to say authentic Icelandic experience, but it's a little bit more rugged. I mean, they of course have indoor changing rooms, and everything else, but the actual bathing area itself, meaning the hot pool area itself is more like you would find, you know, something that's out in like Icelandic nature or something like that. So, and I say that meaning like this place is 
completely fenced off and everything. So it's not the same as if you were just going out in like the highlands, but still it is a cool place. And so I would just choose between the two or go to both if you're really up for it. It would take some time, of course. And then daylight hours would be a lot more scarce. So I would say just, just choose one for this time around. Maybe come back and try another one. And actually Isinger's were learning how to swim at the Secret Lagoon. And it's this kind of interesting part of history too when it comes to bathing culture and the fact that like, you know, there are, weren't very many places that Icelanders had as like a communal swimming pool. It's only in the early 1900s that bathing in like hot pools was something that became popular. And it took a while. It was mainly for like hygiene. I've talked about this, of course, when my bathing culture episode, but just kind of as a little recap. So learning how to swim, really important because there were fishermen who were dying because they had, didn't know how to swim. And if they, you know, their boat capsized or something like that, then unfortunately they just drowned. So kind of, you know, getting to a point where people were able to survive just purely based off of that. And then hygiene was another thing. And of course, exercise, but now it's just turned into a leisure activity, but people do get in their like kind of compulsory education it's mandatory for them to learn how to swim. And I think that's awesome just because again, we're on Island and you know, you just never know when that would come in handy. After the Secret Lagoon, you can check out Foxy Waterfall or Foxy Falls. So this waterfall is, in my opinion, pretty when you walk down to it, it kind of just spans across almost like, you know, more of a horizontal waterfall than this, you know, tall waterfall or something. It's still quite powerful. It's a very quick stop, honestly. But if you're really into waterfalls, then you'll for sure love this place. Another really interesting, significant place in Iceland when it comes to culture is Skálholt. So this is a church and there's over 1100 years of saga and culture that you can learn about here. So for about eight centuries or so, it was one of the most important places in Iceland. So a bishop, you know, type of role was established in Skálholt in 1056. And until 1785, it was one of Iceland's two Episcopal sees, along with Holar. So I actually plan doing another episode specifically on Skálholt because of how interesting it is. And also like the fact that it was where Iceland's first official school was founded and that was specifically to educate clergy. And that was in 1056. And of course, like throughout the Middle Ages, there was like so much activity happening here that was to do with religion, to do with business, you know, politics, all of these things. So it's a fascinating place, in my opinion, to really kind of dig a little bit more into Icelandic culture and get some understanding even about real how religion has, in essence, played such a significant role in Iceland's development and of course in you know the mindsets of the people and how it's I think in, in a way like developed a kind of like respect for religion even though people aren't necessarily feeling like they are religious. Another stop that is fascinating as well but in a totally different way is Solheimar which is considered at least according to Visit South Iceland's site the oldest eagle village in the world. So it was established as a children's home 80 years ago. And today, though, it focuses on offering people with special needs, varied and creative employment opportunities. 
And you can often buy, you know, some of the things that they've created there, which is pretty cool. And there are, you know, jobs in organic horticulture and forestry. It's a very close-knit community. I mean, there's about maybe 100 people that live there. And this eco-village focuses on environmental issues and vivid cultural life. So there's like six creative art workshops, as well as an organic bakery. Like, it's, just, it's really cool. And I think it's really interesting to check out. And as I mentioned, there's a, you know, place where you can buy art, but also a grocery store and a gallery. And if you're looking also for a place to stay, I've not stayed there, so I cannot give any type of feedback regarding that, but they do have a guest house too. Last but not least on the stops for at least this winter day trip is Kerith Crater. So it's a volcanic crater in Grimsnes and it's stunning. It's the colors are so vibrant. There's red on the, like the earth itself is red around the water that's in the bottom of the crater. That's usually like a greenish blue color. And there are like lots of steps in essence. Well, not lots, but there's a decent amount of steps there that you can use to go down into the crater. And they built the place up pretty well. So infrastructure wise, it's fairly easy to get around. If you have limited mobility, also a lot of these places I'm talking about make it fairly simple for you to be able to travel, which I think is awesome. And like I mentioned, I feel like this is a really fun place to explore in terms of like the golden circle route in the wintertime. But now I'm going to jump into the south coast of Iceland. So the south coast, of course, has so much to offer, but I'm just going to be sharing actually not as many, funny enough, as I did when it comes to golden circle route. But as you head out from Reykjavik to go to the South Coast, you'll notice there's like this huge lava area and you'll be going past like Blaufjöll, which are considered the Blue Mountains. It's actually the direct translation of Blaufjöll. And in the wintertime, when the snow has, you know, fallen on those mountains, they kind of give off this bluish tint. So that's why they're called that. So you might even notice that while you're driving. And the first stop though, or at least one of the first possible stops is Ceylonsfoss Waterfall. This is normally one that you can go under, meaning like go behind, I should say, not under. <laughs> Don't go under it. That wouldn't be safe. But you can go behind it. And in wintertime, though, there's a good possibility that you can't go behind it because there's a lot of snow and ice. This is a good time. I and mean, actually, any time you're coming here, I highly recommend having micro spikes. And for those who might need some help with what to pack, I'll actually include in this like the episode show notes, my packing checklist. So you can use that for winter or summer. I have it split up in between the two. But I've when I've been to Ceylon's Foss and walked up the stairs next to it, the very small amount of steps that you can get a little bit closer, I remember seeing ice on the steps that were like inches thick. And having my micro spikes made a huge difference. There were other people there, unfortunately, that were struggling to get up the stairs. And I felt that was quite dangerous for them to take that risk, but you know, to each their own. But to the left of say, so if you're facing Zeylon's Falls, to the left of it, around 500 meters or so walking, is Gluvrabui. And this is another waterfall that's kind of hidden. It's used to be a, kind of like a secret, but over the years, people have definitely found out about it. But it's really cool. So the only potential downside is that the way that the waterfall is situated, you go into what looks like almost like a cave, but it's not. It's, it's, it's open at the top, but there's water running through like a stream. So just making sure that you have on boots that are waterproof or highly water resistant 
because your feet can get a little bit wet in the wintertime. That could be, of course, even more uncomfortable, but it is a beautiful place to check out. And I think a lot of people who have gone there have thoroughly enjoyed it, especially when there's not as many people there. And then after that is Skogafoss Waterfall, which is huge. And this is where you have like over a hundred steps <laughs> where you can walk up alongside it. But to be honest, I feel like Skogafoss from the bottom is more beautiful than the view at the top, just like because of the way that the stairs are situated. And right next door to Skogafoss Waterfall is Skogar Museum, which kind of tells more about like how turf houses in Iceland have been made. And I don't remember the guy's name, but there was a person, an Icelander, who was specializing in creating these turf houses. Unfortunately, he ended up passing away. But he was at, you know, the founder of this Skogar Museum. And they have turf houses on display there. Like I mentioned, like how they make them and just history around that in Iceland. And then a little known waterfall next to the Skogar Museum. So maybe about a 10, 15 minute walk from the parking lot of the Skogar Museum is called Kvernufoss. And this waterfall is really beautiful too. And you can go behind that as well, of course, if conditions allow it. One of the amazing things about going to the South Coast is that that is where the majority of the glaciers are. So I feel like coming to Iceland and getting onto a glacier, meaning like walking on one, is such a unique experience because it's one of the few places in the world where access to walking on a glacier is relatively easy. I mean, and because of that, taking a glacier tour, whether it's just like a short glacier hike or you can learn how to ice climb, is so much fun. And in the wintertime, they're often finding ice caves, crevasses, the ice of the actual glacier is so blue and gorgeous. It's a totally different experience in summertime. Summertime is really fun too, don't get me wrong, but in the winter, it is just ah, stunning, absolutely stunning. So I highly recommend that if you're going to be in the South Coast area, consider going to Solheimajökull Glacier, is the glacier I'm <laughs> meaning to mention earlier, after you've you know finished off at some of those waterfalls and you know, enjoy walking on a glacier. It's just oh, it's so cool. You can, of course, too, in the same area, go snowmobiling on a glacier, Myrtalsjökull, or ATVing. There's like different type of places where you can go and just enjoy being out in the activities of winter. Of course, making sure that you have appropriate layers will make a huge difference in your experience because it can get a little chilly, especially if it's windy or rainy out, you know, of course, when you're, you're there. But after Solheim Glacier, there's a place called Dierhole. And what's nice about Dierhole is that it's a great vantage point of the Reynesfjara Black Sand Beach, which is another location that, you know, of course, is on this list. But you can see it from just a different angle. And you can also see like different rock formations. And in the summertime, puffins come here often to nest as well. So these like different places, like I mentioned, in different seasons have such beauty to them and such like allure, in my opinion, that makes it worth it to check, to check out. And of course, as I mentioned, Reyes Fiera Black Sand Beach, I'm just going to say in terms of being precautious, please do not get too close to the waves. Very dangerous. There are a lot of signs there and, and people still sometimes ignore them, unfortunately. And there have been people who have perished because of these things called sneaker waves, when in essence, the water comes up so quickly onto the shore and you think you can outrun it. 
sometimes, you know, so I'm not saying no one can, but like it's happened where people were caught off guard, especially if they had their back to the sea and then they were dragged, like they ended up being drug out. I don't know if that's a word drug, but <laughs> meaning I know it's a word for, you know, substances, but they ended up being pulled out, I'll just say, into the sea and drowning. So that could be avoided by just keeping a safe distance from it. It's a really beautiful place. Highly recommend going there. Just keep your distance. And then the town of Vic, which is right next door in essence, a short drive from Reynes Fiara Blessing Beach. Super small town, but this town has become so popular because it's a great stop as you're along the south coast. Now, I'm not recommending for at least this these winter day tours to go past this unless you're planning to stay overnight somewhere. Because again, long dark nights, you'll basically be in darkness the whole time anyway, if you know you're spending that much time out there. So I consider Vik to be a good turnaround point to get back to Reykjavik after you know you've done some exploring. And I recommend though, while you're in Vik, to check out the lava show. And I'm actually planning to do a whole episode on this because I thoroughly enjoy talking about volcanoes and Katla, which is the volcano that hovers over Vik, contributes to why the lava show is so interesting. And in essence, just to give you a little bit of a hint of why it's, I think, worth it, is that the lava show pours molten hot lava into a showroom for people to see. And there's a whole story around it and really cool. It's great for all ages. I've seen very young kids there. I've been there twice already very young kids there to of course people who are much older and everyone enjoyed it because it is such a fascinating thing to see lava and like it's man-made lava but even still they heat it up enough that it is mimicking what you would find out in nature and especially now that the volcanic eruption is over at least for the time being this gives you an opportunity to not only see lava but also learn about the history of Vik and the Katla volcano. The third day trip that I have is actually along the South Coast too, but I purposefully didn't add it to the one just before only because I don't think you would have enough time to do all of it unless you're an extremely fast hiker and you don't want to spend too much time in the hot spring river while you're there. But it's going to Reykjadalur hot spring. And that is, like I mentioned, Along the south coast, only around like a 30-minute drive or so from Reykjavik. So it's in a town called Kveragerde. And yeah, it's really amazing to do this hike. I've done it in summertime. I've done it in wintertime. Wintertime, again, microspikes when you're hiking. And it might take a little bit more time, but it normally is an hour hike each way. Decent amount of incline to a degree, and then it kind of just levels off. So it is something that I would say if you give yourself like three hours or so, just to first of all, enjoy the hike itself, round trip, and then in the hot spring river, a couple of pointers, make sure that you bring some water shoes. So like those shoes that you probably would go to the beach with, in which there's like a rubber outsole and it's mesh on like the top or whatever. And the reason for that is there are a lot of rocks in this hot spring river. I mean, this is just like a natural river that because of general geothermal energy in the area, it's like the water is just really warm, extremely hot in some places. They have a boardwalk area that they created, like the area meaning Kvaragerde and, you know, the municipality, if you will. And so that's nice. 
there are no indoor places to change your clothes. So again, this is, you know, a little bit more rugged. It's super fun though. I consider it like an adventure. I thoroughly love, you know, getting, okay, I shouldn't say love. I, I thought it was kind of fun to get undressed, even it's chilly, then you get into the hot spring river, you're chilling out, enjoying it. And you usually get warm enough that it gives you probably around like 10 or 15 minutes to get out of the, when you get out of the river, to feel like you're still kind of warm before it wears off and it feels cold. <laughs> but there's something really nice about being in that hot spring river with snow all around and, you know, just literally being out in Icelandic nature and, and the different hot spots in the river in which you can end up, you know, warming up. And like I mentioned, like depending on how it's flowing, it could be like one area is super, super warm and another area is not as warm. So just be careful too and be mindful. If you feel like it's getting really hot, just move away because it can get scorching for sure. And yeah, the hike though, regardless of the season is great. But like I mentioned in winter, it's it's a special kind of beautiful. And in Kvetigadere, so after you come back from the hike, if you're hungry, there's a great pizza place and they have plant-based options at regular pizza called Ölverk, as well as a shopping place called Gröderhuset that has a food hall. So, you know, there's a couple of places to choose from that I think uh, really nice to go and relax after that kind of adventure. And of course, you can continue heading to other places in the South Coast if you want, but you might find that it's dark by that time so that you end up going back to Reykjavik. The fourth day trip is what I consider to be a little taste of West Iceland. Not going as far as Snæfellsnes Peninsula, because as I mentioned, the idea here is not to go over five hours of driving round trip for your day. So you're going to go to places, at least what I'm mentioning here, like Borkanes. You're going to be passing through Kvalfjörður on the way to Borkanes, uh, to Borkafjörður, and just some other interesting places. So from Reykjavik, you actually, when you're driving, you go through a tunnel. And then, you know, you'll end up going to the direction of Borganes for the settlement center. Now, this place thoroughly surprised me in the best way. I loved the fact that they have two exhibits there. One, of course, is about the settlement of Iceland. And then the other one is Eilus Saga. I enjoyed both for sure. But Eilus Saga is the one. So it's an audio guided tour inside. Is the one that just like blew me away. So the artistry, first of all, with the crafting of the wood. So whoever carved out these wooden sculptures and even like created the displays, I think they did just such a fantastic job. I was just, I, first of all, I was like, I want to own <laughs> or at least have like replicas of some of these wooden masks of the gods, like Odin because they were just so well done and it's just really beautiful looking. So I actually had to find out, I asked the person who was working there who created the sculptures and he said it was like a mix of people. So he wasn't exactly sure, but yeah. Wow. 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 I think you'd be amazed. And it's a little spooky though, to be honest, like it's dark and not in like anything's going to jump out at you. It's just that they create the scene because first of all, it's the sagas. Eil is kind of like a hero, but not like, a, I don't want to say anti-hero, but He's a complicated character. Like he comes off way more as a human who's got some issues for sure <laughs> than this kind of like super amazing person. And I like that. You know, I like this idea that this individual who is so powerful and 
you know, had a lot of influence, had the ability kind of to just also veer off in this path that, that wasn't so good and did some things that were questionable. <laughs> so that's the, actually downstairs is the Ayo Saga tour and or exhibition and then upstairs is a settlement center. Both of them highly recommend. And they also have a restaurant there. So it's a nice place to kind of, I think, kick off, kick off the day. And after that, though, if you're really into a nice spa experience in the Delta Tungukver area, this geothermal area, which Delta Tungukver, just to let you know, is the most powerful hot spring in Europe. And it has a flow rate of 180 liters or 50 gallons of water per second. So this hot water originates from, you know, this, this hot spring, powerful hot spring. And the temperature of it is 100 degrees Celsius or 212 degrees Fahrenheit, which is super, super hot. So of course that gets regulated so that it doesn't flow directly and as that temperature into people's homes, but it does heat up a lot of homes in the area. So all the homes in Borkenes and Akrenes and pretty much anywhere within a 64 kilometer or 40 mile range from this pipeline is where it heats up, you know, homes, businesses, and, and things of that nature. And of course, I think, you know, having this much hot water available means that there has to be a spa or some type of place where you can go and take a dip. And there definitely is. Crema Spa in this area is lovely. They have a restaurant there. They have, I think, six hot tubs and one cold tub. They also have a steam room, if I'm remembering correctly, as well as this one room that I love where it's just like a fire pit. You can just sit and relax inside around the fire pit. So I think that's also just a really nice place to go and relax as you're kind of getting to see West Iceland, which many people don't really see because the majority of people, when they think of West Iceland, they think of Snaifosnes Peninsula, which it is in the West, in West Iceland, but it's so much farther of a drive. It's like two and a half hours just to even get there. Whereas here, it's like within 40 minutes, you're already, you know, at the place where uh, you're at Borgnes and then these other places along the way. So you end up, I think, overall for this day being under four hours or maybe just over four hours of driving, which is pretty nice. But going into some cultural stuff, Reykholt which was the home of Snorri Sturluson. And he is one of the most well-known. In fact, I think he, it's quite possible to say that he's pretty much like the most famous Icelander in the country. Or I should say, okay, influential Icelander. That would be better because he's famous among Icelanders. But when you think of like famous people, it's usually like more wider scale. But so he's most influential. And that's because he was a saga writer, politician, poet, extremely wealthy, and a historian. So he was a chieftain and one of the richest men in Iceland during the time of the Sturlung age. And of course, one of the most powerful, because usually along with riches comes power for a majority of individuals, I think maybe for all of them. And he held the power of 11 chieftainships and had a revenue of 100 farms in the country during this time. So yeah, extremely wealthy. And in Reykholt is a church that showcases an like a exhibition about him. So you can learn more about him and his contribution to Iceland. It's also believed that he wrote Eyo Saga. <laughs> so, you know, really influential individual. And in terms of 
his um, other legacy that people may or may not be aware of is that he has something called Snorraloig. So it's a pool that you can't unfortunately get into, but it's on display. And it was his private hot tub. And there was actually, if you see a little turf house near the hot tub, which you will, this is actually the gateway to a tunnel. It's closed off now, meaning you can open the door and just see like that there's a wall built kind of in the back of it. But it used to be a full on tunnel from his home to this hot pool that he would use. So yeah, he was just, he was that wealthy back in the day. So that he was, he had, and he was, you know, alive from 1179 to 1241. So we're talking about middle ages, you know, extreme wealth that he had. And, and this is what extreme wealth looked like, at least in Iceland. And also because he wrote in Icelandic and not in Latin about Iceland, he was considered like the Homer of the North. Like he just kind of really carved out a place for himself as a poet and as a historian. And he used calfskin in order to write his stories, which he wrote a lot of them. So that's a lot of calfskin that was used. So again, just the amount of wealth and influence in Iceland is quite significant from this one individual. Some little known and not as visited waterfalls in this area are Hroinfossur, which means lava waterfall, and Bartnafossur, which means children's waterfalls. And Hroinfossur is just extremely beautiful, in my opinion. And you'll see, I mean, I have uh, images of it in the show notes of this episode you want to see. Bartnafoss comes along with a story that's kind of sad. So in essence, there's a widow living on a farm nearby who had two young children. And one day she went to Christmas service, but she didn't bring her children with her. And when she came back in the evening, I mean, this is at least what the story is, is that the children had disappeared. Everyone went searching for them, couldn't find them. But what they saw last was the children's footsteps leading to the stone arch over the river for this waterfall. And so it's believed that maybe they fell into the waterfall and died because they were never discovered or, or found. So their mother had the arch that went over the river for the waterfall destroyed so that no one ever again could fall into this river by mistake and die. So yeah, it's sad and unfortunate. And it's one of those things where, you know, in Iceland, there's often these stories that come up about individuals perishing in some way. And this one is just it's not really well understood in the story, depending on who you ask, can be and have additions to it. Like I'm telling the really basic story, but there's some guys who embellish <laughs> on different things. And and why not? Especially since it's not exactly known what happened to them. A really cool experience too, to kind of round off this day of adventures is the Vith Gilmer Cave. So it's Iceland's largest lava cave and it's an hour and a half tour. And I've been on this tour. It was really fun. And it's in a lava field called Hrón, which is the largest lava field in the Borgarfjörður area. And it's super interesting just because, you know, the exact starting time and duration of the eruption that happened in this area isn't known. But it's estimated that the eruption lasted one to four years and that the start of the eruption is probably around 900 AD. There are four or five really large caves, at least that are known of in Iceland, that are located in this lava field. And of course, like little other caves scattered around. There's some cool folklore, of course, about it. that has to do with Grettir, who has his own saga, Grettir Saga. And there's a troll, Hatlmundur, who mentioned, who's mentioned in Grettir Saga. And he actually ends up helping out 
Gretir, who was an outlaw. So we all know, as I mentioned earlier, being an outlaw is, is pretty dangerous for many reasons. So he is said to have helped out Gretir by allowing Gretir to stay with him and his daughter in one of the caves. There are definitely many more stories about outlaws in these caves that they tell on the tour. And inside, like, it's really cool. It's so interesting to walk around. Quite chilly, too, so you definitely need layers. And I remember going in summertime, and it was, like, pretty warm for Iceland, of course, on the surface. But when you went into the cave, like, I needed gloves and a hat and stuff. So, yeah, I was just fascinated by the whole thing and thoroughly enjoyed it. All right, the last but certainly not least of the day trips for wintertime in Iceland from Reykjavik that I'm sharing in this episode is... The Reykjanes Peninsula. So I've done a full episode about the Reykjanes Peninsula before because it is such a amazing place that's still highly underrated. It, it's definitely growing in terms of people going there and wanting to explore it. But I'm just going to kind of go through the list as you come from Reykjavik. So if you take the route of going past Lake Klerova, the really awesome thing is that within this lake, there's a hot spring and there's a guiding company that does what's called a hot spring snorkeling tour. So you still need to wear a dry suit. I think I said a wetsuit before. I believe it's a dry suit <laughs> that you use when it's cold water. And they meet at Seltun Geothermal Area, which is a really beautiful area anyway. So kind of this is all like within the same vicinity. And if you decide to go on it, whether it's wintertime or summertime, they've nicknamed it the Champagne Snorkeling Tour is because there's all these bubbles coming up from the hot spring within the lake. And so you can feel it on your body. You can see them. Super beautiful, in my opinion. Really fun activity that I do recommend. And it's just a different type of experience than you would get at Silfra, where the water is just completely still and very different. And of course, there's no fish in, in Klevavat either, but it's still different enough, in my opinion, to be worth considering. And of course, we can't talk about the Reykjanes Peninsula without mentioning the Blue Lagoon, which is where this is situated. And it's the same area where the airport is. So yeah, if you've never been to the Blue Lagoon, I do think it's worth it. I do recommend it to people to go there to see, to you know delve into the blue water with all these minerals. And there's different things you can do to make it interesting. So I liked getting the in-water massage where you're floating and ah, so relaxing as well as I haven't done it yet but for those who really want an exclusive experience they have the retreat at the Blue Lagoon which is quite expensive like $300 a person or something but you get five hours of like a lot of activities that you can do of course you can just go on a regular pass so I don't feel like you have to do any of these expensive things but I guess because I've been to the Blue Lagoon so many times I try to think of things where it's unique for me. So that I also share them to, for other people as well. But there's just like regular passes. There's a premium pass. Get you different things. So Blue Lagoon, for sure. Check it out. And actually, this could be a fun day trip that you do when you land. So if you get your rental car at the airport and you take a trip around the Reykjanes Peninsula, it's really fun and awesome. You can, of course, also eat there. The restaurant, I believe it's called the Lava Restaurant, is quite nice. So there's different places. But if you want to go to somewhere really local that's in Grindavik, Cafe Brekjan is said to have the best lobster soup. I've not tried it, but I do know a few people I was traveling with that did. I had the vegetable soup, so that's just the vegetable version of the lobster soup, and I thought it was tasty. So that is a place on the harbor in Grindavik where you could go 
if you really want to have some good seafood soup. And Her Super is also a bakery in Grindavik that I absolutely love. They have plant-based vegan goods as well as non-vegan. Snoother is like a cinnamon roll. Amazing. Their snickerdoodle thing that they make is so good. And if you want to try Icelandic donuts or kind of their version of a donut, Kleiner, amazing. And again, I'll try and like make sure I have this all written in the show notes if you want to have a peek at that on allthingsiceland.com. But after you've kind of, you know, gotten your fill of food, you can then go to Iceland's largest mud pool, Gunnukver, when I actually did on Instagram and I think it was TikTok and a couple other places for Halloween about the haunted hot spring. So Gunnukver is named after Gunna, a woman who lived in poverty hundred, like, I don't know, yeah, well, 400 years ago or so in the area. And she, in essence, was indebted to her wealthy landlord because there was no way she could really pay for where she was living. And at one point she couldn't make the rent. So the landlord took away her last possession, which was her pot that she was using for cooking. And she was so enraged by this that she went on a starvation protest and basically said that she won't eat until it was given back. And neither one of them relented. So the landlord never gave her back the pots. And so she ended up starving to death. And so for revenge, she then haunted the peninsula and she like mutilated the landlord, killed his wife, like a whole bunch of stuff happened. (laughs) It was really intense. And eventually a priest was called in to help and he used this like string to capture her into the hot spring. And that's where she is to this day, apparently. And you can see her trying to escape through the steam. Really interesting. And it's just really, you know, interesting story billowing steam from also a nearby power plant that adds to this as well. And right next door is Reykjanesvitti, which is a lighthouse. And that is one of, I think it's actually the oldest. I'm going to make sure. Yeah, it's the oldest lighthouse in Iceland. It's been rebuilt after some damage was done to it, but oldest lighthouse. And it's really beautiful to see. And then out in like literally opposite of it, if you look out to sea, there's a huge rock out there. It's a like bird cliff. And it's called Katlin or the man rock. I don't know why it's never been explained, but it just is. And then after that, take another little drive. You can go to the bridge between continents. So just like in Thingvetlir National Park, where there's the Rift Valley, you can also find this on the Reykjanes Peninsula. And that's really cool too. So here, this bridge is symbolic bridge that's named after Leivur Eriksson and in essence, you know, it's supposed to be that you can walk across from Eurasian tectonic plate sides, so from Europe, in essence, to North America. And it's fun to like go under the bridge and try to take a picture of you holding it up <laughs> from a, like, a certain angle. So you're holding the bridge up. It's, it's really fun. And last but not least is the Viking World Museum, where there's a huge Viking ship on display and different exhibitions about Vikings that I found to be really fun and, and fascinating so I highly recommend checking that out. And Reykjavik Peninsula is only like a 40-minute drive from Reykjavik. So all of this is, is like two hours at max three of driving, uh, just depending on how long you're taking to go to certain places. And of course, leisure time, you can spend as much time there as you want, just kind of going around and seeing the different aspects of the peninsula that are, are beautiful and often not visited by people, especially during winter. All right. So that's sums up the five winter day trips from Reykjavik that I was gonna, I'm sharing in this episode. The random fact about Iceland that I find fascinating 
it has to do with how much, like how many people have been visiting during winter here. So in 2021, from January to March, there were 11,960 visitors to Iceland. So of course, you know, COVID and everything else impacted this. But that same time period in 2022 is 244,660 visitors. So they've already in 2022 been over 1.2 million visitors to the country. So of course, you as you can tell even by these numbers, like wintertime in Iceland is still not as, you know, much regarding people. So it definitely is a good time. Summer is amazing. I definitely highly recommend coming, but you'll have the opportunity to see a lot of these places with not as many people just purely because the size in terms of numbers of individuals that visit during winter are just so much less. And also it's just a lovely time to see Iceland. If you're curious about this data or want to check it out yourself, I found it on the Icelandic Tourism Board's website. I'll link to that, of course, in the show notes. And before I move on to the Icelandic word of the episode, I just want to, again, thank Go Carbon to Iceland for sponsoring this episode. And you can use my code ICELAND10 to save 10% on your full booking with them, no matter the time of the year. So the Icelandic word of the episode is dagferð, dagferð, which literally means day trip. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next one. Þakka þér kærlega fyrir að hlusta og sjáumst fljótlega. Mm-hmm.